when you zoom out and you look at the base, what each LP understands is the same thing that we do. And that is that we are on this precipice of a big change at the intersection of food, culture, and tech, and that we believe we're uniquely positioned to lead investments in this change. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Nora Mae Cadena and Shayna Harris, co-founders and managing partners at Supply Change Capital. They have a ton of experience in the venture scene and as operators and bring that to this venture firm where they focused on investing in the changing face of food. Let's dive in. Nora Mae and Shayna, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about all things supply change capital, what you've built here, what you're continuing to build, your focus and everything. I think the first part where I want to begin with, though, is why venture capital in the first place for both of you? Because there's many paths in life. And I know I've talked to a lot of people who have gone the route of operator, founder, maybe the angel invest. They don't go full time into VC, but why VC in particular for each of you? I'm curious. I think we, we bring this interesting convergence, right? Um, you can think of us as, you know, really converging our careers individually and as a team into the work we do through Supply Change Capital. I'll start with, with me personally, and Shana can share her story too. On my end, um, Justin, I, I am an engineer by training, uh, studied mechanical engineering, and spent 12 years in the aerospace sector with a deep focus on moving products to market. So innovation... Um, pushing boundaries, uh, supply chain operations, and everything that that entailed. And on a personal side, I've always been deeply committed to uh, equity and creating opportunity. After business school, I co-founded an organization called Latinas in STEM and was doing a lot of work to create opportunities for women of color in engineering. And so when I discovered venture capital, um, I found it to be this, uh, this incredible intersection of everything I loved bringing products to market, creating opportunity, building community uh, around founders post-investment. And that's really how I fell in love with this sector and um, the the reason why I stay. Love it. Yeah. And and building on that, um, yeah, I think we, we both, if you would have asked both of us 20 years ago, would we be in venture capital? We would have said, <laughs> ah, mm, scratch our heads, right? Because what? it wasn't really where our careers were oriented. I spent my career in the food industry in operating roles, really focused on sustainability and innovation. That's been the common thread for the last two decades. And uh, but what I, you know, what I started to see time and time again, from working at Mars in the corporate setting in a number of entrepreneurial roles to working as a chief operating officer of Farmers Fridge in a very entrepreneurial organization, is that um, every time the programs that I was running or the companies that I was running started to grow. And I would start to guide and support and mentor earlier stage founders or those earlier in my career. The common thread was that there were so many ideas that were being overlooked. And a big reason is because there were not people in decision-making seats that look like us across industries, right? And so I started to think, I mean, number one, be outraged about that and think that it needed to change, but also realize that there's so much opportunity being overlooked that that is actually the de- definition of finding alpha in venture capital, it's investing yep. in the overlooked opportunities, having a unique lens, right? And 
with Nora May's background and what she's built throughout her career, really being at the forefront of a lot of these movements, culminating in, in venture capital. And for me, being at the forefront of a lot of these movements in the food space, when you put both of our backgrounds and expertise together, it's pretty powerful to think about how we can identify investment opportunities. So the aha moment for both of us for this fund was actually an angel investment that we did together. And this was in a company called Amsam. Uh, we both angel invested in this company in 2020. The founders, you know, they're, they're building the company that they wanted to see in the food space, right? A company helping them to easily prepare Asian foods at home. They couldn't cook the way that their parents did growing up. They wanted shortcuts to be able to do that and to really feel like they were living out their, their culture. And so for Nora May and I, the opportunity was obvious, right? Because we think about the growing multiculturalism of America and we think about how many populations are underserved. But the feedback they were getting from the market time and again was there's another Asian brand on the shelf or, you know, is this opportunity, is this market really big enough? And for us, that was really the aha moment culmination of both of our careers where we said, yes, this opportunity is big enough. Yes, this is a huge opportunity. And the fact that we're in at the ground floor really sets us apart. And that was the kind of the spark to think about building this firm. With that too, uh, Kim is one of the founders, correct? I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she spoke at the VC platform Global Summit. I remember hearing her speak. I was like, oh, this is great. This is amazing. And so I, read, I saw that in the research that you had invested in them. So I was like, oh, full circle. With that too, take me through deciding to work together because whether it be founders of a venture firm, founders of a startup, kind of the same, honestly. Take me through that, that dynamic between the two of you, just a little bit more in depth around, okay, are we doing this? Like we're starting a venture firm because obviously it's a <laughs> massive commitment. I'm curious on how those conversations went for you. I mean, pretty much like that. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we're, we're really building supply chain capital on top of nearly 13 years of friendship and partnership yep. uh, that really dates back to our time at MIT Sloan. So we met in business school. And we were part of the same small forum group of six. So if there are any Sloanies out there, go Mediterranean egrets. Um, <laughs> Niche audience, but I love it. <laughs> we never quite got the call right. But uh, so we've known each other for a long time, kept in touch throughout the years, really admired um, each other and supported each other's work um, and knew we were rooted in the same values and when the opportunity for Amsam came around, we were both at what Shana would call reflection points in life. So really thinking about what would come next and trying to um, be very mindful and uh, uh, about what we entered into and having it be a long-term focus with the type of culture and partnership that we both um, wanted to build on. And so we had lots of conversations around what the future looked like as we envisioned, you know, ourselves for the next 10 to 20 years. And we coincided on, on what, what that view was like. And so there was a lot of research that went into this work. We started thinking about the thesis, <clears throat> digging into the data, um, socializing it with potential investors. Uh, but really, I think we both had a commitment to the thesis um, a commitment to each other and the partnership that continues to uh, to be strong and to really uh, fuel how we spend our time. And what would you what would you add, Shana? No, oh, I think you nailed it. Nothing to add there. Perfect. Well, let's dive deeper on that thesis then. Take us through what that looks like and how you came about that. Yeah, absolutely. So 
for Nora May and I, you know, we have kind of had frontline exposure to what we think are the defining forces of our time. That is culture and that is climate. And culture and climate as the defining forces of our time are deeply impacting the food system. You think we saw this, you know, a, a bit before maybe the mainstream did because we were working on these issues for so long. But now given, you know, global conflict, climate change, the pandemic, conversations about the supply chain are happening all the time in daily news, in our newsletters, in daily conversation. It's very, you know, colloquial in the conversation. And so, you know, we really saw this incredible opportunity to invest at this intersection of, of culture and climate in the future of food, really at the earliest stages of high growth food tech businesses and culture first brands. And some of the trends that we were seeing and some of the themes we were researching when we started investigating the thesis were, were, were things that at the time I don't think were as widely understood, but, but now they are. So for example, the decommoditization of agriculture. So we're seeing you know commodity prices up and down and spike and through the roof, and we can't even get the products that we want over the last couple of years. The pandemic was one of the first kind of canaries in the coal mine, but climate is, is the critical one. And so how do we build regional food systems we all eat. Food is a $6 trillion global industry. So this is a huge investable opportunity. We all eat. What are the technologies we can invest in that help us build resilient regional food systems? What are the technologies we invest in that help us imagine the future of things we enjoy every day, like a morning cup of coffee or, you know, the chicken on your plate at dinner? I mean, there's just, there's so many points in what we consume every day, how we get goods and services and how they're made that have the opportunity for rethinking in the food space. So, you know, the thesis is really around investing in technology across the supply chain that impacts the food system, but we're specifically looking at this intersection. What, what would you build, Norma? What did I miss? Yeah, I think the you covered the origin, and if you know we were we were to uh, just be succinct about it, it would be uh, across investing across the supply chain and in culture first brands with a lens for climate and culture. With that, so there's always you figuring out the thesis for yourselves and what you want to invest in, what you care about, a lot of the different things in the market and everything. But there's also the factor of you're raising a fund, then you have to portray that to LPs and get their feedback. What were you hearing? What have you been hearing from LPs along this? How has that journey been? Like get, how to find this idea of what you want to invest in? Uh, because anyone who's ever raised a fund or is raising a fund knows how hard that is. Uh, I'm curious on how that's been for you in terms of telling that story around your thesis for this? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And we're happy to talk about the fundraise journey, make no statement around whether we may or may not be fundraising. Uh, so we, our, our first fund uh, has already yielded 10 portfolio companies. So we are in market and investing. Um, it took us, I mean, I'll give you some of the stats and, and sort of zoom out on, on, who has supported us? Um, it took us uh, it took us a, a bit of networking and getting this thesis out there to rally the first community close. Um, it, we didn't call it a friends and family close. We really called it a community close because it was really the food and manufacturing ecosystems coming together to say, you know, yes, I believe in this thesis and I resonate with the opportunity. Um, and our first close was a two million two million dollar close. We were we were really bullish on our ability to um, to be able to continue to lean in and build out a firm, and so we we strayed away from the the common 
advice of ensuring that we close 20%, I mean, 10% of the fund. Um, And I think that what's true, you know, if you look at our LP base, we have strategics like General Mills, financial institutions like Bank of America, um, family offices, foundations, and a really strong network of high net worth individuals. And I think that when you when you zoom out and you look at the base, what each LP understands is the same thing that we do. And that is that we are on this precipice of a big change at the intersection of food, culture, and tech, and that we believe we're uniquely positioned to lead investments in this change. How do you look at, with that thesis uh, around that then, how you look at winning deals, why people are going to choose you. I know you have a, a framework for evaluating founders as well, which I want to get into, but I'm curious on how you look at uh, winning deals in a market where if, if founders have options, uh, so they can go with a lot of different people, why are they choosing supply chain capital? I'm curious just how you think through that, and especially because other emerging managers and angel investors and investors in general have to think about that. I'm curious how you think about uh, that too. I mean, it is definitely a competitive market with all of the different, you know, firms and and angels, as you mentioned, that have come into the space in the last, you know, two, three years. One of the big differentiators for us is that we are operators at heart. We have operating backgrounds. We've operated in Fortune 500 companies. Nora May ran an accelerator for early stage tech startups in Los Angeles. I ran a startup, you know, in the food tech space and raised capital, kind of sat on the other side of the table. So we really know what it takes. And Founders are looking for folks sitting across from them at the table who are going to join their advisory board or their actual board that understand what the journey is like. Not just, you know, I can bring capital to the table, but I can bring networks to bear. I understand what skill sets are required to build an early stage company. I understand the emotional journey. I mean, it's that experience is is pretty invaluable to a founder. And so we're finding that to be one of the, the big differentiators for us. Our thesis is definitely resonating. I can't tell you how many people have said, I read your thesis, and then they tell us what they read. And we're like, oh, people are actually reading words on our website. Yes, cool. I love that. So, so that's, you know, that's I think, um, validation around the values and the type of food system we all envision and, and what we're trying to do. But, but the operator background has been a really critical differentiator for us. I love that. I was just talking to... Uh the founders of uh, F7 Ventures yesterday. And they were talking about, you know, they have like 16 to 20 years of like Facebook experience on top of other operating experiences. Mm-hmm. It's such an advantage to have that, uh, some type of operating experience, running companies, understanding that even if you fail at something, it's like just to have the experience of doing it, uh, it's very helpful for that too. And uh, mm-hmm. going back to what I mentioned around evaluating these founders, then having your lens at what you do that, take us through this foods framework that uh, people are maybe are familiar with if they've seen your website, but I'd love to hear more about how that came about and then what that actually is. Yeah, yeah, I'll kick it off, Shana. You can you can wrap up with sustainability. Um, so as we think about deals, Justin, we're looking at the, you know, what you would expect, right? What who are the founders? Uh, what is the uh, what are the operations of the business like? What are the deal dynamics? Um, and then beyond that, we're we're also thinking about uh, sustainability. So the S we add to the foods framework is uh, is all around um, their own impact lens for sustainability. And as we look at the portfolio, uh, we're looking for three uh, measures of impact, um, health, sustainability, and diversity. And each one of our investments will touch on at least one of those. Um, Shana can share more about sustainability. And the only thing I would add to the last question is that, you know, one other reason founders really 
um, want to work with us is because of our focus on post-investment support. Um, we have a signature program called the Supercharge 3 program. It was co-created with an executive coaching firm. It's a six-month cohort-based program that is really focused on, uh, on ensuring that founders have a strong foundation in management and culture and that it is uh, it's time invested early. And uh, it's really taking all of the lessons learned, um, all of Shayna's lessons learned as she was growing a business, my lessons learned of working shoulder to shoulder with early stage companies, and then being able to look back on the last five years, where they are now and where, where they're experiencing pain points and ensuring that we're supporting them to build that foundation in early. On the foods framework, um, so a couple of things to mention about why we put this framework in place. So, you know, we all know that there's a ton of conscious and unconscious bias in the industry. We wanted to make sure that we had a framework by which Nora May and I and our associate Rafaela and anybody on the team, we have MBA fellows that work with us, could assess investment opportunities from a similar starting point. And so this has gone through iterations over the last year, how we exactly do this, but we allow um, inbound opportunities to come through our website. We, in fact, we ask every single founder, no matter how we meet them, to submit an intake form. And the questions that they're being asked align with the foods framework. So we're thinking about the founding team. Why is that? Why is this the team to solve the problem, right? We're thinking about the opportunity. Why is this something that should be addressed now? Particularly in food, you see a lot of solutions where the market is not ready for, actually. So it's really important for us to say, like, why is, this, why is now the time to address this opportunity? Um, what type of operations does this company need to scale? Um, and then, as Nora may mention, the fundraising dynamics as well. And so we're doing all of those things first to make sure that we're focused on the venture scalability of the opportunity that we're evaluating. And it's each stage gate of our review process, right? Because we will say yes or no to founders. It's like a big decision tree at yeah. different points in this process. We're, we're continually thinking about the categories in this framework. Um, and then when we get to the S, which is sustainability, that really is means impact, right? What type of impact are we trying to have as a firm? If we're a firm that's investing with this lens of climate and culture, we have to make sure that all the investments that we're making are laddering up to that investment thesis. And so we see this as, you know, returns first uh, and impact focused because the future of food requires that, right? And so what we've done for, for evaluating this is we've put a theory of change in place, which says that what we believe, which is that the future of food is one in which the food system is has a reduced impact on the climate and reduced negative impact and or a positive impact on the climate. We are building healthier communities and we're building intergenerational wealth with diverse communities. So those three pillars that Nora May mentioned around health, sustainability, which is really around climate and diversity, are the filters by which we say, sure, this is a you know this is a company that could check all the boxes around the founding team, the opportunity, et cetera. But we also need to make sure this is a company that is a part of this framework, building the future of food as as we see it and as we in the direction that we think the industry is moving in. Okay, there's there's something I gotta go back to. So Norma, you mentioned the uh, six months six month program for Supercharge Three and developing this executive coach. We can't like gloss over that because that's too interesting to like not. And I've heard about, I heard about it in different podcasts. I was like, okay, that's interesting. I'm way too curious. I want to know more. Like, take me through developing that. What that looks like. Right, wh what the founders do in that six months because uh, I love hearing about anything that helps founders after the investment because 
there's like the investment piece, which obviously takes a lot to get to, but then there's like, oh, here's the rest of your journey for like a decade. Let's talk about that part. So take me through that program a bit more. Oh my gosh. Yes. We're, we're really excited. And you know, when, when Shane and I were brainstorming and evaluating um, the potential for, for post-investment, right. We, we knew that we wanted to take all of our lessons learned, collate them into a program and really be engaged with founders post-investment. So this is um, from the, from day one, we, we turned this into a 1% commitment. So we've committed 1% of the fund for portfolio uh, founder, executive leadership, coaching, DNI and mental health support. And that's where Supercharge 3 um, really, really was born. Uh, and so we're working with Verde Associates, an executive, Chicago-based executive coaching firm uh, Shana has worked with for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, they typically work with PE firms and much later VC firms, but they were really moved by this idea that a small underdog venture capital firm was thinking about the kinds of things and the kinds of platform services that in their experience, only big companies were thinking about. So they were moved to work with us and to co-create this program. Mm -hmm. So we have, um, the, the program focuses on four key areas. Um, one HR basics for early stage organizations Two common, uh, growth pain points for, early stage companies, three, understanding and defining culture. And this is, you know, for each company and for the role of leadership. So we kicked off our first cohort in February with five portfolio companies. Um, They all took a Hogan personality assessment, debriefed it with a coach, um, talked about how their personality traits could supercharge the team or potentially derail the team and and learn how to manage. And they've been working together to, as they think through all four of these things, how, what, what is the culture I want to build? What are the processes that are key? Um, Team co-founding team dynamics, hiring. um, What else? What else am I missing, Shana? I think that's all. I, well, uh, the other piece of it on top of it is they're going through this in a cohort together. And so as we've been learning about what's valuable in this model, the feedback that we've been hearing through the coach from from the founders, because this is really a program that Verde leads, is that the, the cohort model has been fabulous. Like being able to feel like I'm not in it alone. I can learn from the lessons learned and the mistakes and the, the successes of, of my fellow founders has yeah. been really powerful. And then what this does is it, it gives Nora May and I the time to do more kind of tailored or bespoke support when needed. So then we can dig into our very extensive network and help founders yep. troubleshoot on very specific things. But the more general, hey, like we both knew this is what every founder is going to face growing their business. So those types of things are able to do in this cohort with a coach. And, um, and then we can lean in on things like sales introductions and, you know, um, helping with revenue strategy, thinking about early stage board construction, specifically for that company, like who should be in the room and how do we think about it? And the NPS scores so far have just been really, really strong. Yeah. Um, You know, the teams know that they, through the process, they've further defined their North star and the plan for getting there. Um, so we're really proud of this, 
we're really proud of this program. And it's only it's only about a third of our post investment support uh, overall. Nice. And yeah, to have that foundation for founders seems like an incredible tool to have. And I know from us at Vitalize doing like Vitalize, Vitalize Angels and having not be a cohort model, we always think about if it should be a cohort model. And we also love the idea of having a cohort model because people are connected in that way a little bit better. So I like that it is a cohort model because it seems like that would be great. And I even went to um, the Maven, a uh, course, course creator company, and they have this cohorts. They put people in for everything. And it is this camaraderie you get from having these cohorts. Uh, and you don't feel alone. You're like, oh, I just like, talk to my cohort mate over here about their problems of going through the same types of issues and like product market fit and everything with that, which is, which is really helpful. And uh, I want to make sure I get to a couple of questions we had from Twitter. One from Gail, shout out Gail, uh, favorite incoming <laughs> food <laughs> trends. <laughs> Have you heard? Have you heard of Gail before? Uh, Chicago, what up? Um, <laughs> favorite incoming food trends, trends in food. What are you excited about with this? Oh, wow. Um, there are a few areas where we are uh, increasing efforts for outbound, you know, outbound hunts. Um, fermentation is one of those areas. We've made three investments in this space, um, all Chicago-based. Yeah. <laughs> on purpose or what's going on in Chicago? What's in the water there? <laughs> and so, so fermentation is definitely one of those areas. So as we think about alternative proteins and really building the structure for scaling um, and, and decoupling our need for protein and flour from, uh, from agriculture itself, that's one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Supply chain technology is another. I don't think that's what Gail is looking for. She probably wants to know what foods we're eating. <laughs> we'll get to that after. <laughs> Saffron Road crunchy chickpeas are delicious. Uh, watch snack. on YouTube to see but, these. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of, um, I mean, supply chain technology is critical. So, you know, thinking about how things move around. Like we're looking at an interesting company that's looking at short haul. Um, you know, think about how much our economies changed over the last 10 years. We are on demand. Like, I think I got three deliveries today between Amazon, Whole Foods and Zappos. Like it's so there's a lot of need to move goods around and, and food is a really critical part of that. So supply and chick technology is a huge one. Food waste. Yes. Uh, is another area, uh, particularly, you know, really tech powered, AI powered mm-hmm. solutions uh, against food waste, food preservation. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are some themes we're thinking yeah. about. And that's one where policy really becomes interesting and important because you see governments like the government of California and cities passing legislation around food waste. Companies need to are going to need to pay to haul away food waste or pay a penalty if they're wasting. And so how do we make sure, you know, 40% of food is wasted and that's one of the biggest impacts, you know, and opportunities for climate change reduction is around food waste. People don't realize it, but from the farm through transportation, to that food going to landfill and emitting, you know, greenhouse gases. So that that's a big one. And then Latin America, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, we've been, our focus is on mostly the U.S. and across Latin America. We've been uh, mapping out the ecosystem and meeting a lot of other investors um, and diligencing deals. So we, we will likely make an investment in a company out of Latin America this year. That's amazing. Are you looking to expand more in Latin America, other places? I'm just curious on where your focus is. Yeah, we've been looking at deals in Chile, Argentina, Mexico, um, all over. So we are, we're pretty open. 
Perfect. I love that. And I want to hear about a couple of your investments. Um, you can feel free to bring up maybe one each uh, and just take me through like how you found it, what they're doing, that type of thing. I'm curious because I know there's at least 10 from what I've researched from fund yeah. from this fund. So I'm curious for each of you, one of them. You go first. Okay. So <laughs> Chicago-based. Uh, this company is called Aquacultured Foods. Of course, Chicago, because I'm a huge Chicago fan. Chicago. Uh, no, they're called Aquaculture Foods. And this is the future of seafood. So our oceans are severely overfished. If you do take the genetics, just a sampling of DNA of the fish on your plate, it's most likely not what you think it is. There's just a lot mm. of stuff that's going on in that supply chain. Aquacultured food uses fermentation technology. So mycelium, fungi, we love mushrooms, um, to create the whole muscle filet of fish, scallops, shrimp. You know, they're really, they have an incredible vision for how to replicate these incredible foods. Um, but my favorite story about aquacultured foods, so we learned about them because Nora May and the founder of Aquacultured, uh, Anne, were both nominated for the Vegan Women's Summit Awards. And the, the, the um, nominees were announced, and I noticed there's this woman working on fungi in Chicago, and we didn't know her. <laughs> so I reached out to her. And Nora May happened to be coming in town a couple weeks later, and after initial call, we were like, we really want to meet her. So we sat down for dinner at an outdoor restaurant and she pulls out a little cooler with a cutting board and a knife and a plastic bag. And out of the plastic bag, she pulls out this translucent little piece of something that looks like fish and cuts it up. And next to our tuna crudo, the tuna crudo fish that we ordered off the menu, we sample this fungi based filet of fish. And I will never forget Norma's expression because she has a great poker face and she tries the tuna crudo and then she tries the aquacultured sushi, quote unquote, and has a very serious face. And we're all like, what do you oh, think? Yeah. And yeah. she goes, insert long pause for a dramatic. Mm -hmm. And then what did you say? <laughs> I don't remember what I said, but I do remember being like super pleasantly surprised. It blew my mind. It was so much better than I anticipated. Uh, I was really, really impressed. Yeah. We, we like, we, we were 75% sure at that time that this was likely an investment we would make. We rounded out the diligence and, uh, became their largest pre-seed investor. Largest pre-seed investor. And they are doing phenomenally. They're, you know, ready to launch in, they have LOIs with Swiss retailer Migros with a number of restaurant chains in the US, food service. There's some stuff on LinkedIn about Sodexo's feedback to a tasting they recently did. So we're really excited about this one. That's amazing. Which one do you pick, Nora May? Uh, I was really going to uh, go head to head with you on region <laughs> and pick something in California. Yeah. Ooh. But I'm going to lean into Chicago. I'm going to lean into <laughs> Chicago today <Okay>. and, <laughs> and I'll pick Haife Foods. Um, this was an investment we announced uh, recently, a company also based in Chicago that makes high protein, allergen free mycelium flour from food industry byproducts. So think about a uh, food or beverage manufacturing process uh, with, with water as waste. Um, they grow mycelium in this wastewater and produce this uh, uh, flour that is high in protein, low in carbs. Uh, high in fiber, and uh, again, decouples us from agriculture. So we're really excited about this team, uh, co-invested with uh, the engine out of MIT, 
and a few other folks across the food tech space. Also a pre-seed deal, very early. CEO is an engineer. Um, so we're really excited to back this team. Okay, take me through this education for you both on this scene, because you already have some, obviously some, a lot of knowledge on this, but you see things that you just mentioned, you're just like, what is going on here? Like, what does the education process look like for, for you two on like getting up to date, up to speed on something like this? Especially when you have these new inventions of yeah. sorts, you're like what does this market look like? Like, take me through that. What does that even look like? Oh my gosh, you know we we're really good at knowing what we know and and what we don't know, and we're both really strong community people and uh, and have a deep deep network of uh, really smart people around us, and we we tap into them. So on on uh, probably both of this these deals we did. Uh, significant uh, socializing within our community. We have uh, folks we can tap into on IP, um, on you know things like their a company's freedom to operate review, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and and so we leverage some of this talent. We're partnered with the UC Davis Innovation Institute for Food and Health. Hired a PhD who's an expert in wastewater. Um, to review the the TEA of the company, the tech, the techno economic um, analysis, tech, of course, <laughs> economic analysis, and provide feedback, and uh, and so that that's really helpful as one way of getting up to speed. Um, Shane, of course, has been deeply embedded in the food space, sustainability, and sourcing, so um, has a deep network. Yeah, and I add to that, we have an incredibly engaged group of LPs. So a number of our LPs, particularly the early early um, pioneers of supporting our model, are folks that have been in the C-suite at Fortune 500 companies. They've had an exit in the tech space or in the food space, or they've you know led a family business in the manufacturing space. And and folks said when they invested in us, they like call on me. I want to lean in. I want to be helpful. I'm so excited about what you're doing, and they have delivered. So it is not uncommon for us to pull in an LP or an advisor. Um, on a diligence call pretty early on. And so we're, we're very fortunate to have that network as well. Yeah, it's always interesting hearing about that, especially any, like, how can I say it, far-reaching out there technology or, like, deep tech. And, like, I, you have a basic fundamental, like, foundation of knowledge, but then there's people you hear about things they're doing, you're just you're like, wait, you're doing what? Like, I remember interviewing someone who, um, they're taking DARPA's technology for, like, basically they're building a mind-controlled bionic arm. And you're like, when you hear that, you're like, what? <laughs> like, where do you even start with that, right? And it's like, oh yeah, DARPA had the technology. They've been developing it for like a decade and like, we're going to bring it to market or whatever. And you hear that, or you're just like, I don't even know where to start with that. Like mm -hmm. uh, where your expertise is. And obviously there's people who are way smarter than you that have done some subset of that somewhere or some uh, deep domain expertise you can draw on them, especially in your community, which is incredible. And transitioning from that, I want to know, because I'm going to read a tweet from Shana. Um, this is a hard, this is a really hard part about venture. Uh, and so I want to get your take on this, but Shana said, this is a while back. So for context, this is February, 2022. I did something uh -oh. that's hard for me. I kindly, gently said no to a request for a networking meeting. Oh. I said, please loop, loop back in a few months. The response was disappointed. I am not asking for more than 30 to 60 minutes of your time. Time is precious. Guard it well. Now I know oh, from yeah. even I a year and a half, this. yeah, <laughs> even a year and a half in venture, there are requests on your time every single day, constantly. I know Gail at our firm gets like 50 to 100 DMs. I have dozens every day requesting, but it's just a few minutes, but it's from like everyone all the yeah. time. Yeah. You're building a venture firm 
you're emerging managers. There's a lot going on. Yeah. How do you prioritize, guard your time, even think about that as you're building oh this? Oh my God. I love this question so much. I remember that day like it was yesterday and calling Norma and feeling heartbroken because I my resolution to myself that week was I'm going to have to say no to some things. I'm going to do it in a kind way because, you know, it's, we got to, like you're saying, we got to protect our time and we have commitment to ourselves, to our LPs and to our founders to, to bring the and best work. and our kids and our husbands and our yeah, friends and our neighbors. It's all of that, right? So, um, so there's a couple of things we do. Um, we have this incredible executive assistant we're working with who's remote part-time, but we've basically in preparing to bring her on, we said, how do we want to spend our time and how can she help uh, keep us accountable? Yeah. So Norma and I created a Google spreadsheet and we color coded it. And we said internal team meetings are Mondays, Fridays are heads down time or like community, whatever we need to do to get, you know, through the work from the week. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are a lot of calls, founder support, portfolio review, deal flow, et cetera. But, you know, it really helped us to time block. And then here's starting and ending. And here's heads down time because we need to build a heads down time. Now, we yeah. are oftentimes the first ones to violate this, but we made a commitment to each other and we have accountability within our team now. So that was that was really important. Another practice we have with our team, which I love, is we'll say, what are the top three things I have to get done this week? And I would say 70% of the year we're doing this. Sometimes we're in practice, sometimes we're out, but most of the year in our weekly team meeting, what are my top three priorities? Because like the goals in venture are actually pretty clear around raising a fund. This fund has to be competitive. Here's how many investments yeah. making a year. So it's that's clear cut. So, but how do I break my time down? So I often find that that top three for the focus area is really kind of a guiding light for the week. And then, you know, you're just constantly in your mind, this is not fulfilling that goal. This is, and you're, you're trading off throughout the week, but it is hard. <laughs> and I would, I would add, um, we're partnered with Strut Consulting and uh, they've helped us on the operation side, really operationalize as many processes as we can, right? Onboarding fellows, offboarding fellows, deal flow, and how we manage all the different touch points throughout the pipeline. And so we're we're really relying on our our own operations uh, experience to ensure that the processes are in place. And one thing we're really looking forward to is um, in a couple of weeks, Shana and I have overlapped our vacations, and so we will be off. Like Wait. off, like actually, off. like off, off, like dark, black. Not like, not like I'm off, but I'm out of office, but I'm actually going, just not. Like, yeah, okay. going off. Yes. Yeah, we may we may change our email password so that we we may have our assistant <laughs> change our email password so we can't get in. Yeah. But yeah, because we're we're our vacation is overlapped, we won't have the urge to reach out to each other, mm-hmm. other than to share great family <laughs> vacation. Yeah. Exactly. We'll still be following each other on Instagram, you know? Yeah, I think it's going to be a firm hack. I think we're going to have to roll out vacations forever. Yeah. We take them together. Yeah, time people take time off is really difficult for a lot of people, Uh, especially people who start venture firms, which is like super driven, impact driven, all these things. And like, you want to do these things, but you're like, wait, I should probably take some time off eventually. Um, On that note with the team real quick, one of the last things I want to talk about here just take me through the team, building the team. Uh, I've talked to a lot of emerging managers now uh, and how they think about the role of bringing on a platform person or an operations person. There's so much, especially when you have like, you're trying to raise your first fund or second fund and there's just like 
not a ton of capital, but you can build somewhat of a team, but you're obviously trying to prove yourself still. Like just say me through building the team for uh, supply chain capital. Oh man. Well, first of all, I would never want to do this work by myself. Uh, and so <laughs> having a strong <laughs> partnership is, is key, foundational, enabling, inspiring, you know, all the things. And, uh, and I think we, we got really, we got really lucky and we worked really hard at it. So both of those things. And then in terms of building the team, we, um, Shana took us through a, an exercise around all the different tasks that it required that building out a venture firm requires where we feel our zone of genius is and how we outsource or hire for all the other tasks. And then once it was written out, it was really easy to see where the gaps were, mm-hmm. right? So we'd say, is this something you want to do? <laughs> Are you good at it? Uh, and then it was easy to see where we had to fill in. So Strut Consulting came in and filled in some of those gaps. Um, you know, we may have a tech stack to fill in other gaps. Mm-hmm. Graduate school fellows can plug in some places. Um, and ultimately, we ended up hiring an, a full-time associate to help with deal flow because that's where we felt we we had the biggest gaps for support. Yeah, I will also add we were on a call today with other another firm, and we you know Nora May took them through an update of what we were doing, and they it, it was pretty impressive. I was sitting there like, oh wow, yeah, we're doing a lot, and they and they said, so how many people on your team? <laughs> we're like, well, we're two thirds of it, and there's one. So I Here think. We that's- are. Yeah, it is really critical to to just know your strengths and, and know where you're going to thrive because then you're going to be able to do great work because if you're building your own firm, make it your life's work, right? Like don't hate coming to work every day if you're building your own firm. You should love it. So do what you love. And then there are so many incredible resources and services out there that you can plug in. So that was just a reminder of like, yeah, you know, it's it's a lot to build, um, but, but it's you know, it's, it's possible. It's, it's really interesting what you can do and you can appreciate this. I'm sure, um, in a scrappy environment, you know, there's, there's a lot of creativity. Yeah. I love hearing about how people are handling it and how people are building their firms. Cause it mm-hmm. is like different ways and being creative. And like, I know we use a lot of, uh, part-time hires initially, or like part-time that eventually goes to full-time mm-hmm. and like across the board to help out on things. You know, we're always kind of scheming on, put this person in this place like are is it are they doing their best work here should it be here like you're always kind of thinking about that because you, you have these pieces you're moving around and you're trying to make sure everyone's like like you said in their zone of genius which then everyone operates better that way as well and uh, i want to make sure you have time so uh where's the best place for people to learn more about both of you as well as supply change capital Ooh, well our website supplychangecapital.fund which we will be relaunching imminently but it, it is there it is there um there's a rebrand coming uh, our Twitter is supply change cap and our Instagram is supply change capital. So those are, those are good starting points. I'll link your Twitters as well, by the way, on the website when, we, when we post this at the vitalizedpodcast.com. But thank you both so much for taking the time of your busy schedules to come on the show today. We appreciate it. Yes. We're big fans of Vitalize. So happy to be here. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at VitalizeVC, or you can follow me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.